morning. We'll continue our study. It is context is key. What does this verse mean by what it says? You open to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14. We'll open with a word of prayer. Gracious God, mighty Savior, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We praise you for your love and kindness, your holiness, your abundant grace, and in thanks we sit here this morning as recipients of eternal life. Help us now at this time to understand the meaning of your word, prepare our hearts along with others on their way this morning for service, that you will be glorified, and that we, your people, would be edified by way of the truth. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. John 14, look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Um, That verse um, is taught by some to mean that Christians will do more supernatural works than our Lord Jesus Christ. Just this week, a pastor from another church asked me about this verse with regard to that because he doesn't believe it means that, but he just wanted to know how do we define that. So I basically sent an outline of this study um, to the man So many today do think that. And um, although um, it is true that the Lord's apostles um, will be specially commissioned by Christ to perform supernatural signs and wonders as a testimony to their authority, that is to their apostolic authority, um, as God's unique messengers, when they commenced their ministries... Those works, those signs, those miracles, those wonders were always in connection to the proclamation of the gospel in order to authenticate their apostolic office. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The signs of a what? true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. That is, signs that always accompanied the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Either preceded or followed the preaching of the gospel. Okay, signs of an apostle. Okay, clue number one, 
the apostles are now in heaven. And they were signs of an apostle. Now, consider for a moment some of the things that Jesus did routinely during his earthly ministry that that, uh, neither I nor anyone else can do. Um, Think about them. I cannot raise the dead. Hello. I cannot walk on water. I cannot pronounce curses on people or places as Jesus did. Capernaum and other places like that. Um, I cannot produce or multiply food to feed tens of thousands of people, which Jesus did. Um, I cannot know what people are thinking as Jesus could. I do not know what's in their heart, as Jesus did. I cannot predict the future, nor can I speak to nature and command a raging storm to cease. Anybody? Can anybody? I didn't think so. Okay, miracles that Jesus routinely did. And John actually concludes his gospel with these words, saying, many other works Jesus did that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John 21, verse 25. Okay, so number one, history proves that Jesus is not affirming in John chapter 14 and verse 12 that believers will do greater miracles than he did, right? The signs and the wonders of the apostles combined never came close to what Jesus did. Okay, number two, for any human being to do greater miracles than God in the flesh would actually detract from him and his messianic mission as prophesied in the Old Testament. Look, for instance, at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then... The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and then the lame will leap like a deer. Which, of course, we witness through the ministry of the one for whom Isaiah prophesied, and that is the Christ, son of the living God. Now, even Paul the apostle, who who surpassed Um, The other apostles in ministry, um, travel, and and likely um, the works of of wonders and and signs, um, scarcely did the things that Jesus routinely did. As Paul was carrying, for instance, the gospel of Jesus Christ across the Mediterranean a number of times, he never calmed a storm, but he was shipwrecked three times as recorded in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 25. And having written that letter to the Corinthians, he was then shipwrecked again. 
which makes four times. Now, those times, doing God's will, taking his gospel to the ends of the earth would have been a great time to do greater works than these and calm a storm. But he was shipwrecked. So let's consider then um, the primary purpose of our Lord Jesus' ministry, okay? And, and it was not performing miracles. Okay, in Mark chapter 1, we read this. Um, a multitude of people were looking for Jesus. Why? Because he was casting out demons, healing the sick, healing the diseased. When his disciples sought for him, found him, and said to him, everyone is looking for you. In response, Jesus did not stick around and heal more people. Instead, he said something very significant. Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he said to them, Lord, everyone's looking for you. Context, because of the miracles of healing, casting out demons. Jesus said, well, then let us go somewhere else to towns nearby so that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. To preach. Think of the day of Pentecost. Jesus ascended to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 souls were converted in one day. Through what? Preaching. Preaching. And they came from all over the known world. They gathered, we read, um, they were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia. Um, think about it. Apart from when Jesus was a baby and went down to Egypt, he, he never left Israel. He goes to the Father, and the greater works of the Father's heart will be made manifest as you apostles sitting here with me tonight will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will declare my gospel. Conclusion. Greater works is not greater works in kind, but greater works in extent. That is, the proclamation of the gospel, which, which was limited to a small um, geographical region during our Lord's time on earth. After he ascends, okay, which, and that's the context of John 14. After he ascends, he will send the Holy Spirit and the gospel will extend to the four corners of the earth of the, to the known world through these men. Clarity of the gospel will be given by the Holy Spirit's power which will result in many converts of many people from every tribe tongue, 
and nation. Amen? Okay, which means this. The, the, the person and the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth will be much clearer then as the Holy Spirit falls and resides within you and you men go out and preach. It will be much more clear then than it was during Christ's earthly ministry because he will then have died, he was raised, and he will then have ascended and then he descends by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. It will be much clearer. So because he was going to the Father, the church's work and the power of the Holy Spirit will be greater then. And it continues to be greater now. Primary purpose, preaching of the kingdom. Declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So greater works, again, are greater in extent, not greater in miraculous power. Amen? All right. Next, we don't have to go far, but to the next verse, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, okay, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me Anything in my name, I will do it. <laughs> Often taught to pray in Jesus' name is, is somewhat of a magic formula that guarantees that whatever we ask, no matter what, so long it is, as it is prayed in Jesus' name, you'll get it. Well, so long, of course, if you have enough faith. Words have power, they say. So does this mean that unless those three words are attached at the end of every prayer, the prayer is um, otherwise illegitimate, unorthodox, and therefore it will go unanswered unless I wrap the prayer up with and in Jesus' name? Some people think that. Okay, now we have to remember the setting. John chapter 13 through 17, the setting of which is the Last Supper, the Lord with his disciples in the upper room um, consisted of a long evening um, of dialogue, drama, teaching, and prayer. Okay, it won't be long before these disciples will realize that um, they are in over their heads. They, they don't realize yet Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified in just a matter of hours. Once he's gone, they'll face trials, temptations, troubles, moments of desperation, um, while they preach before both repentant and hostile sinners in carrying out the Great Commission. That's the context. That's the upper room. He's talking to his disciples. And then their Lord will not be standing next to, him, to them as he has been the last three and a half years. He's preparing them for his departure. 
And there he teaches that they, once he's gone, will have direct access to the Father by, where, by way of prayer in his name. So praying in, in Jesus' name is prayer that's not you know, merely some you know, mechanical, um, magical phrase. It is prayer that is consistent with who Jesus is, what it is he taught, and what it is that he accomplished while he was here. So although Jesus will not physically be with his disciples, he will not be present with them as he has been, um, he will, however, indwell them. He, He will indwell them through the Holy Spirit, and what they ask of God, they are to ask in Jesus' name. So when we ask anything, is applied to us, anything in in Jesus' name, that is, things that are in accord with his will, Jesus will answer such prayers because he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is what he's laying out to these men. So having prepared a place, chapter 14, you know, verses one and two, having prepared a place for us, where the Father dwells and the preparation was going by way of the cross, that was the preparation made. I go and prepare a place for you through the cross. That's the context. It's not that he's going to go build little rooms for everyone. He prepares a way by going to the cross. That's our way to the Father. I prepare a way for you. And he's preparing them. So then, not divorcing, verse 13 From verse 12, notice, whatever you ask in my name in connection with greater works than these you will do and greater works than these he who believes in me will do. See the connection? So he's saying that their powerful ministry is guaranteed to be supported by answered prayer. So the key to to effective prayer is that you will be asking in my name. Okay, that is, in a manner, you're going to be praying in my name, which is prayer consistent with who Christ is, what he has done, what he taught regarding his kingdom purposes. In his name, that is according to his will. Okay, so we can't disconnect these two verses, verses 12 and 13, from one another. Okay, with all that being said, to understand more deeply praying in the name of Jesus, turn to um, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Okay, talking about the condescending humility of our Lord. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. 
found in the appearances of man. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, glo- to the glory of God the Father. Okay, now think about this. The name that is above every name. To, to any Jew, to any Jew, the name that is above every name was the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's the name above every name. Referring to all that God is. All that God is, his attributes, his majesty, his character, and his glory. Yahweh. Okay, notice verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason also. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Notice verse 10. The name of Jesus, which is above every name. Okay, now this reveals the fact that that we're, we're not referring to the name Jesus, Yeshua. We're not just referring to Jesus' name, but the name that belongs to Jesus. The name which is above every name that Jesus possesses. Does that mean he's referring to the very common name in that day, Yeshua, Jesus? The name Jesus was as common as my name is today, John. Many, 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 many boys were named Jesus. That's why when we read the Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth. So notice, it does not say the name Jesus, but the name of Jesus, the name belonging to to Jesus, pointing out that that name is Lord. That name. Peter preached at Pentecost, Christ, that he is both Lord and Christ. He preached Jesus. He's both Lord and Christ. Now, make no mistake, Jesus has always been Lord. (laughs) He's always been Lord. He's always been the second person of the Trinity. From all eternity, there's never been a time when he wasn't Lord, and then all of a sudden became Lord. So, 
he's not saying that Jesus, you know, one time wasn't Lord, but now he is Lord. That's not what Paul says in Philippians. He's always been Lord, just as he's always been the word of the Father, Logos. Always. It's just that now, in flesh, he appeared. He appeared in flesh from heaven as promised, and in the flesh, in a body, in a man's body, he rendered such a service to the Father that now God the Father publicly acknowledges and pronounces him as Lord, as kurios, master, supreme in authority, Lord. The name of Jesus, Lord above all, precisely because of what Jesus has done by way of humble service. We get the picture, praying in Jesus' name? Okay, look at Isaiah 45. Uh, I have it on the screen. Okay, verse 21. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ came, penned this. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I the... The, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. And there is no other God besides me. In other words, truth is not relative. Pagan gods are not gods. I am the only true God. A righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. Okay, in other words, you, you want to be saved? Listeners, turn to me, the only God and Savior. I have sworn to myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, will swear allegiance. Capital L-O-R-D, God's Old Testament covenant name. Well, you might think, well, doesn't that somehow detract from the glory of the Father to call Jesus Lord? Not at all. One in essence, one in nature. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the, the name of Jesus is above every name. Jesus means, the name Jesus, Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. Okay, referring to all that God is in, in, in his attributes his majesty, his character, and his glory. Lord. Lord. Every knee will bow, 
Every tongue will confess. Every tongue. Every tongue will confess. They will acknowledge, okay, whether it be with, with joy and gladness and the final victory of our Lord and Savior or the utter shame and grief and horror of, oh, how wrong I have been all my life rejecting him. They will all say, Jesus is Lord. The name of Jesus, Lord. Lord of? Lords. King of? Kings. The covenant name of God. The name of Jesus. Every tongue will acknowledge his reign and his right of eternal lordship. That is, at the name of Jesus. The name that belongs to Jesus. The one whose Lord who came out of heaven took on a human body, human flesh, upheld the law in the flesh, died in that flesh, was raised in that flesh, and ascended in that flesh to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The name of Jesus. The name above every name. The name above every name. The name that belongs to him and him alone. In other words, there's no access to God the Father, but through God the Son, through the regenerating power of God the Holy Spirit, which in the context of the upper room is what Jesus is teaching them. I will send the Spirit. He regenerates, and, and, and he teaches that I'm Lord. So whatever you ask in my name, as you go out, you're going to do greater works than I did in preaching that message, because I'm Lord. That's my name. Pray in my name. All that I am, all that I've accomplished on the behalf of sinners. And you're not my messengers. The name of. You know, in, in Mark 9, do you remember this when we were in Mark? John came and he said to Jesus, Teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we, we tried to prevent him because, you know, he's not one of us. Remember that? And you remember, by the way, the first ones to properly recognize Jesus as who he truly was. The demons, through the demon-possessed. We know who you are, okay? Jesus of Nazareth... the Holy One of God. We know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time because we know only the Lord can torment us? Jesus said, do not hinder him. For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name, the authority of who I am. Not just Jesus, the name is a magic formula. There is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For 
he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives a cup of water to drink, because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Jesus is talking to his disciples. In, in, in a day when water did not flow from household faucets, was not stored in plastic bottles in a refrigerator, as they go out to preach his gospel, one major challenge will, will be to have fresh water. This is the idea. So here, the smallest act done for you because of me, that is my name, your servants of me, they will not lose their reward. And who gives the reward? Lord. The Lord gives reward. Jesus, who is Lord. So as these men will travel with the gospel, water will be hard to come by, Others who will bless them here, Jesus says, is like giving to Christ as you give in his name. As you recognize his authority, as you recognize that which, is he, that which he has accomplished, and you bear his name because of Christ, literally it says in the name because of Christ you are. So in the name because of Christ you are, and you're going out with my message, anyone who gives you a, a cold drink of water in my name shall not lose their reward. So we're all involved in the ministerial work, are we not? Of the name above all names. So with that in mind, we back up to John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it in connection with verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So the declaration that Yahweh is salvation, that is Jesus, who is Lord, he is salvation, that work, declaring justification by faith in Christ alone, that is the name of Jesus, all that belongs to him, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So yes, you always hear me pray in, G in Jesus' name, amen, as we ought. But that's not a magic formula that wraps up a prayer and makes it legitimate. You can be a pagan and say those words and not recognize the name given to or the name that belongs to Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Amen? So if a pagan prays that, his prayer goes as high as the ceiling. But we're in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen? Father, thank you for this glorious truth. May we never take it for granted. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.